Hey guys, welcome back to Bible Plus Podcast. We're on Revelation chapter 15 today. It's a super short chapter, only eight verses, but it's vivid, it's loaded, it's got a lot of truth that's relevant for our experience today, and a truth that will uplift our praise of God and our appreciation of His works and His ways. So we're going to make this chapter uh, real simple, which is three points. We're going to look at the late overcomers, who is this group of people that we're looking at here. We're going to look at the king of the nations, who is this great God that they're praising. And we're going to look at the seven bowls, how does God bring in his kingdom through his ultimate judgments uh, that he pours out on this earth to clear away evil and bring in his kingdom of peace. Okay, so... um, Chapter 15 is positioned right before the last group of sevens. So remember, Revelation is structured as a book according to four uh, groups of sevens. We've got seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls kind of spread throughout this book. And if you see that, you'll really have kind of a roadmap for navigating this book. And interestingly enough, before every group of seven is kicked off, We've got a visionary prelude, a scene, uh, a revelatory scene, um, usually in heaven except for the first one, which is on earth. And that vision leads us into uh, the the next group of seven. So in chapter one, we've got a vision of Christ and his intensification as a priest on earth caring for the churches. Uh, in chapter four, we've got a vision of the throne room of, throne room of God in his universal sovereignty and executing his will. Chapter 8, we've got a vision of the ascended Christ uh, ministering as high priest and responding to his people's prayers to um, to bring in the execution of, of God's will. And here in chapter 15, we've got the last scene in heaven before God's uh, judgment is poured out. And this is a this is a vision of the ultimate victory of God's people. So, This is the late overcomers. This is the last group of people that Revelation shows us that God produces as victors, as overcomers, Um, overcoming that darkened uh, earth and degradation um, even among his people. And these are the the victors that go all the way back to chapter 2 and 3 that God called for. And this is the last group of victors that God produces. We've got a glimpse of them in, uh, in rapture before God pours out his wrath. And so this is verse two. It says, uh, this, this group of people coming away victorious from the beast, uh, standing on the glassy sea mingled with fire, praising God with harp in hand. So who is this group of people? Well, back in chapter 12 through 14, which is really describing the details of this, this last conflict before God brings in his kingdom, the great tribulation, Uh, We saw in chapter 13, these two beasts, well, verse 7 says, permission was given to the first beast to make war with the saints and overcome them. And so he kills those who don't worship him and receive his mark and, you know, align themselves with his anti-God kingdom. So we know that God's people will, some of God's people will pass through this ordeal and a great number will be faithful and um, stay true to God and worship God alone, and they will be killed by by the beast and his system, and yet their uh, death will be a veiled victory. It will be a martyrdom 
that will bring them into God's presence uh, with praise and song. And what they're praising God for here is uh, that it says they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. The song of the Moses incidentally goes back to Exodus 15, where God's um, delivered people praised him for his judgment on Pharaoh, another hostile world power opposed to God's purpose. Well, here is the ultimate um, Exodus experience. They come across the ultimate Red Sea, this glassy sea, and they're on the shore of eternity singing God's uh, victory over this last hostile human government under Antichrist. And they're singing the Song of the Lamb, which is a song of redemption. Now, this glassy sea is before God's throne, uh, which is a miniature of um, kind of the the lake of fire, this uh, this concentrated um, you know realm of of this of where God sweeps all of his judgments into. And the fact that it's before his throne, we're told back in chapter four that the lamps of fire burning before God's throne and this glassy sea mingled with fire before God's throne. And this represents God's, you know, positively God's spirit accomplishing his purpose and negatively the realm of his judgment. Um, So God administrates from the throne in light of these two truths, the spirit for his purpose and the judgment against all that would stand against it. So, uh, this is who the late overcomers are. It's this group of victors over Antichrist, refusing to, to bow to him and worshiping God alone. And they worship the king of the nations in verse 3 and 4. It's an awesome short little praise of God that we can incorporate into our praise today. Uh, they're praising God for his works and his ways. That is what he does and the principles behind what he does, which correspond to what he is. He's holy He's righteous, he's glorious, and they capitalize on those chief attributes of God and incorporate that in their praise. Um, Great and wonderful are your works. Righteous and true are your ways. And then they say something really significant in context. They say, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you. So in chapter 14, verse 7, We had an angelic messenger crying out, fear God and give him the glory and worship him who made heaven and earth. So here is a a correspondence between chapter 14 and 15. And also back in chapter 13, verse 8, it says all those dwelling on the earth will worship the beast. Um, But here in chapter 15, there is a contrast and a counter to that. And ultimately, the last word is no. All the nations will come and worship God, the Holy One, the Righteous and True One, the King of the Nations. So how that will come to pass is this last point through the seven bowls, which are the ultimate outpouring of God's judgment. So God clears away this last uh, futile attempt at um, opposing God under Antichrist and redirects the nations and rescues them in a sense and gathers them around him as his citizens of his eternal kingdom. So that's what this is, the king of the nations. So the seven bowls are the, it says it's the last plagues and in them the fury of God was finished. So this is God's last ultimate pouring out of wrath uh, in the book of Revelation. We'll get the details in chapter 16, 17, and 18. And then the book wraps up with 19 through 22. So judgment obviously is a difficult 
an offensive topic for some people, but uh, the Bible portrays God as judge, and judgment is, like we talked about before, how God clears away the obstacles to his purpose and brings in his purpose. Um, So I want to end this podcast with just a few points on um, the necessity of judgment in the biblical perspective um, and ultimately what judgment is for. So if there's no judgment, then Jesus isn't actually our savior. He's just another teacher. And he is a teacher whose teaching isn't all that important because whether or not you follow it uh, is inconsequential. But if there's judgment, then Jesus is not just a good man, a good teacher. He is a divine savior who takes judgment upon himself so we don't have to face judgment. If there's no judgment, his death on the cross wasn't what he said it was, which was a redemption. It was simply a tragic accident that a delusional man submitted himself to. Jesus shouldn't have had to die. It was a mistake. It was it was something reckless and stupid that he should have avoided. And yet he sought it out and submitted himself to it. But if there is judgment, his death on the cross again was for our redemption, to spare us from facing God's judgment. Finally, if there's no judgment, then there's no real ultimate justice, truth, or love in the universe. And obviously, most people can't stomach this. They cry out for justice in the face of unspeakable evil and tragedy. Um, And it's not just anything goes, you make up your truth, I live out my truth, but we must align ourselves to the divine grain of reality. You know, we must uh, align ourselves to the truth that is behind this physical uh, creation, which is God's truth. And we, we need to see God's wrath as the backside of his love. The, the wrath that God has is not towards humanity as such, but to that distortion of humanity under satanic, you know, evil forces that oppose and destroy humanity for God's purpose. And so if you're a parent and you see someone hurting your child, it's natural and right and proper to be angry at that destructive force because that flows from your love. And so God feels the same way. His judgment is intended towards those dark forces of evil that um, destroy the humanity that he intends to unite to himself in the strongest bond of life and love, which is how the Bible ends. So judgment is not intended for man, but if man doesn't get into Christ and receive the gospel, then uh, we leave ourselves exposed to the storm without a shelter. So Revelation points us to this fact that this will uh, play out and God will pour out his ultimate fury um, to remove the obstacles to the fulfillment of his purpose. And when he pours out his wrath, clears out that way, ultimately the bridal city, the temple of God descends from heaven and writes, uh, you know, writes the wrongs and brings in the purpose of the ages. So ultimately this chapter again points us to the temple, the opening of the temple, God's testimony in heaven was opened up, and once that judgment's poured out, the way is cleared for that tabernacle, New Jerusalem, bridal city, to descend and take over this earth.